back in John chapter 6, I'm going to be covering a lot of verses today. John chapter 6, verses 16 to 71, in fact. So a lot of, a lot of passages. And uh, really, it was a decision to be made of either preach uh, five sermons on this or 15 or one. Uh, so um, we're going with one this morning. And uh, John chapter 6 is kind of a, a collective whole. And we have this uh, kind of journey that we get to see with uh, Jesus and the 5,000. So a couple weeks ago, I got to preach, or three weeks ago now, I got to preach on Jesus and uh, the feeding of the 5,000, and we saw that Jesus invited his disciples into ministry with him. And uh, we talked about if we're in the Christian faith, then if we're on Jesus' team, we're on Jesus' mission. So we're not just Jesus and me, it's Jesus and we, and we're on Jesus' mission with him. And so we go into all the world and making disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. This is something that's not just for Christian Covenant Fellowship or First Baptist down the, down the road or other churches in town. This is for you, personally. You are called to make disciples. So we see that, and, and then we see these 5,000 people that were fed, and then what Jesus is going to do is Jesus is going to tell, after he kind of withdrew from these 5,000, um, and actually, it was upward near 20,000 people with, when you count women and children that were with the crowd and that they were on their way to Passover. And, and, uh, and Jesus tells his disciples, after he vanishes from the midst of the, the, the crowd, you need to go to the other side of the sea. So they're like, okay, well, we'll go to the other side of the sea. And Jesus goes up and he prays on the mountain. And uh, long story short, we'll get there here in a little bit. He does some walking on the water and some pretty cool things and then says some, says some stuff. And uh, by the end of chapter 6, that 5,000 people had turned into 12. So these 5,000 people who were fascinated, or 20, up to, let's use the number 20,000. 20,000 people who were fascinated with the work of Jesus, who were seeking him land and sea, they had dwindled down because of what Jesus had said to a group of 12. And so we're going to look at that. What, what were the things that Jesus said? Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 63. Um, he says, if you want to look at it with me, um, he says this. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So Jesus tells us, tells the people of this crowd, that the words that he is speaking, the words that he has spoke in the previous section, okay, what we're going to look at, they are of spirit and of life. And the flesh is no help at all in understanding this stuff. It's the spirit who gives life. And Jesus said, the words I spoke are of spirit and of life. The, the problem is that the people in John 6 disagree with Jesus. They don't think that his words are of spirit or of life. They actually think they're of death. They don't like it at all. And so this morning, we're going to be invited into a scene in which 5,000 people leave, up to 20,000 people leave, and only 12 people remain. Okay, so it's pretty interesting. Jesus is going to invite us into some, some mysteries. Part of the reasons why these people left is because they were uncomfortable with mystery. They wanted to have God in their box, and they wanted to be able to understand how God works and operates. And Jesus kind of takes the box, and he kind of takes it, and he puts it on the ground, and he's and kind of smashes it and kicks it to the side. And they're left like, wait a second, what? You see, Jesus is going to invite us. He invited them into um, some pretty monumental paradoxes. What is a paradox? A paradox is two true statements that are really, really clear that seem contradictory. Jesus is going to say some things that he calls, he says they're words of spirit and of life, that people look at and they can't understand, they cannot understand how they can go together. How can you say this in one breath, Jesus, and then this in another breath, Jesus? Okay, this is thinking, think, think this way, two philosophies colliding Two statements that seem to not go together, and these are made in back-to-back ways. And this is why I love biblical theology, because it's so superior to philosophy. Because for us in this room, we're going to have to, this morning, and I think the twelve had to do this, we're going to have to lay down a few things. And what are the things that we have to lay down? Well, at first, to lay down a few things, we have to take up a few things. As Christians, we have taken up the Bible as our ultimate authority. We believe that God's Word is our ultimate authority, do we not? Right? We agree? Okay, in here? Yes. All right. Woohoo. For life and practice, we believe that the Bible's sufficient. We believe God's word. Okay? 
Here is what I have experienced over the years, and here's what I believe is going to happen possibly even here. Um, Most Christians, even though we will be quick to affirm, yes, we believe the Bible, we are subject to the Bible. Here's what I believe most Christians walk with and we wrestle with. In reality, most people's ultimate authority is their worldview, even Christians. What they believe God is like and what they feel like God is like. So I grew up in Marion, Illinois. In a Christian home. Christian home in Marion, Illinois. Godly parents. Christian home in Marion, Illinois. Marion is in Williamson County, Illinois. In southern Illinois. Right? Because don't be mistaken with northern Illinois. We're not like those northerners, right? We're southern Illinoisers. Right? Amen, some people. Okay? Southern Illinois, in the state of Illinois, in the Midwestern United States, in the United States of America, in the, uh, what is it, uh, the North American continent, in the Western Hemisphere. I was born in 1983, and I grew up in that culture with that worldview. I grew up in a local church, and so I gathered thoughts, opinions, ideas, very, very true things, very, very right things, but I grew up in a world, and I have a way in me that feels right, a way that seems right, a philosophy, an inner philosopher that rises up and says, this is the way things are, and here's what happens often for me. It's not just me over the years, and I'm learning to kind of get over this. But here's what happens. As we read the Bible, and as you read the Bible, as we bump up against some things that Jesus says, we will feel like subjecting Jesus to our thoughts of Jesus. We will feel like subjecting God's Word to us. I don't understand that. It must be unclear. I don't understand that. That's not the God I know. And we actually subjugate the God of the Bible to the God of our mind and our feelings. And to be a follower of Jesus means that we lay that down and we say, God, we're going to mold our feelings, our thoughts of you around your word. So we're not going to come to Jesus and sit next to him and say, and Jesus starts talking like he does here and there's 5,000 people. Up to 20,000 people who sit down, they're hearing Jesus talk, and they're like, no, I don't, I don't like that. I don't think that's right. It doesn't feel right. And then there's 12. And there's 12 who say, as Jesus says to them, as the crowds leave, he says, uh, hey, guys, you want to go away as well? And the 12 respond, Jesus, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed in you and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They agree with Jesus. Jesus, you have the words of life. Whatever you say, it goes. The crowds may leave, but we're here to learn at your feet. We will not correct you. We will not, if we don't understand you, say, Jesus, you need to bring a little bit more clarity here. Uh, We don't understand this. People are going to be confused by this. If you say that the words that you say are of the spirit and of life, you know what we're going to say? Okay, they're of spirit and of life. Okay, I agree with you, Jesus. So we see two kind of responses, and these responses to the words that Jesus says, as we kind of follow this pattern in John chapter 6, um, there are people who don't want to subjugate themselves to God and his word. They don't want to say that Jesus has ultimate authority. Um, you know what, before we go, have I prayed yet over the sermon? Did I, did I pray? Anybody? Help me out here. Daniel Hurd says I didn't. So here, if these are the words, if the flesh is no help at all, then our flesh is not helpful here, right? If the flesh is no help at all, that's what Jesus says, right? You can see it in verse, I already quoted it, 63. The flesh is of no help at all. We don't like that. There's no help at all. It's the Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit to move, right? We want to hear from God today. We want to help. And we, even if we don't understand some things, and even, and by the way, I'll make a few caveats Let me pray, and then I'll make the caveats. Let's pray. Father God, uh, rabbits, trails, help me to stay focused. And Holy Spirit, work. Work in our hearts. Help us to sit, Jesus, at your feet and agree with you that, yeah, you have the words of eternal life. And we may not understand some things that you say. We, We may understand what you're saying, but we may not understand how what you're saying is true. Help us just to say, hey, as a little child doesn't understand the workings of their parents. Uh, your ways, God, are higher than our ways. And your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And help us to come together and just gather on your word and agree with you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay. 
So I am going to make four caveats before we get going. One, we're going to talk about some paradoxes today. We're going to talk about some things that Christians over the years have fought about. And uh, by God's grace, we're just not going to fight, okay? And so we're going to have a good time with this. And if there's a little bit of disagreement with what I'm preaching here today, that's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. It's okay. But what we do need to, to say is we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and there's room for open-handed things to be disagreed with a little bit. So we want to gather around this word, and we don't want to disagree with Jesus. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that there are godly men and women who have saw this a little bit differently than, than I do. And then there are other people who see it very similar to me. And in the past, people have fought, and that's silly. We don't need to do that. So uh, we want to come together and learn as much as we can so we don't have to agree on everything. Um, but uh, the truth is that hard things from Jesus, hard words can still be words of life. Things that are hard for us to hear, Jesus says, are words of life. The words of life sent 20,000 people away and left with only 12, and they were still words of life. So we want to be amongst the, the, the 12 that say, yeah, we agree with you, Jesus. And so uh, the last caveat is something I've already mentioned, is the Bible is our authority, um, not ourselves. So I want to look first at, uh, uh, at a group of people who are seeking Jesus, and what does Jesus say to this group of people who are seeking Jesus? So the scenario is, I've already said, Jesus leaves the 5,000, withdraws to the mountain, and tells his 12 disciples to go across the sea. Go to Capernaum. So the 12 get in the boat. There's a storm that happens at night. And so they're rowing, they're rowing, they're rowing, they're rowing. And they can't get very, very far at all. Jesus gets done praying to his father. And he decides, huh, uh, my transportation's gone. So I'm just going to go ahead and walk across this lake and meet my buddies. And so Jesus goes and he starts walking across this lake. And he ends up freaking them out. Or, Is this a ghost? What's going on? And he gets in the boat. And, and the wind and the waves, they die down. Oh, my goodness, they're amazed. Like, and then all of a sudden, they're to the land that they were trying to row to. I mean, pretty miraculous, right? Like Jesus gets there. Everything ends up being okay. And in the storm, there, Jesus was there. And if Jesus is there in your storm, it's going to be okay. okay. They get to the other side. And the next morning happens, and this massive crowd starts to look around, and they're like, hey, hey, have you seen Jesus? Hey, where'd Jesus go? They start looking around. They're like, well, we're going to go find Jesus. And somehow or another, somebody, some little bird must have told them, hey, he went across the sea there. And so they go, and they travel across the sea to Capernaum to find Jesus. They are seeking Jesus. This is what they want. It actually says that they were seeking Jesus. They themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum to seek Jesus. I mean, they were zealous about finding this Jesus who had just made and multiplied the bread. Jesus starts to say some things to them and listen to their responses. In verse 41, this zealous crowd that was seeking after Jesus, in verse 41, they start to grumble. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So the crowd begins to demand. They start grumbling. Okay, Jesus, I don't like that you said that you're the bread that come down from heaven. Verse 52, the Jews disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? How can, the, how can this man do this? They start not liking what he has to say. They're uncomfortable with it. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The word disciple is used. It gets a little bit more personal. Many of his disciples heard it. They said, this saying is hard. Who can listen to it? In verse 61, Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said, do you take offense at this? His disciples, those walking with him, were being confused. They didn't like. They were grumbling with what Jesus had said to them. And in verse 66, something very sad. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. But then we have the 12. What do the 12 do? Well, I've already told you. They agree with Jesus. They have questions. They don't fully understand. But what do they say? Well, glad you asked. Verse 67, Jesus said to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So this is the posture that we want. We want to be in the crowd of 12. We don't want to be in the masses who heard what Jesus had to say and then left. So, you're sitting down. You're on the edge of your seat. And you're wondering, what on earth did Jesus say? Like, what could he possibly say that sent up to 20,000 people away? Right? I mean, even the, great, the best orators, okay, 
Like, if that's what happens when they're speaking, that big of a crowd walks away, you know what? People are saying, like, wow, how ineffective are you? Goodness gracious. Like, you start off with 5,000 at the end. There's only 12. Like, that's, a, that's bad, right? Like, goodness gracious. So what's going on? What's going on? Okay, well, let's look at it. We're going to look at it in a few different scenes, but we're going to see some hard things that Jesus said to these people, to the crowds. Uh, first, in verse, flip back to the verse that I just read in passing, verse 24. Verse 24, John six twenty-four. So the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They, they themselves got into the boat and went to, the, went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. You see that? The crowd seeking Jesus. Let's keep reading. 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your loaves. Now, this is interesting. You ate your fill full of loaves. Jesus does not honor their seeking. He actually shows them that they're seeking him in the wrong way. So in his interaction with this seeking crowd, he corrects the very reason they came over to see him. Isn't that interesting? You would think that he would give them a high five and say, your zeal is impressive. But he actually says the opposite. He said, you're here for the wrong reason. Why are you here? You're not here because you saw the signs and you know that I'm the Messiah. You're here because you want me to do more magic tricks for you. You're here because you want me to be what you want me to be for you. You're not here because you love me or you want to follow me. You want me for what I can get you. Friends, there are many people like this today, still. Your dreams are not coming true, so you come to Jesus because you've heard he is the way that you can get your dreams to be made true. You don't want Jesus, you want your dreams. You want your plans and purposes, and you think Jesus is your route to get done what you want done in your life. Or you want Jesus, you come to Jesus for healing, or you come to Jesus for this or that, because what you really want is that, and Jesus is your pathway to get whatever you want. You don't want Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you're not seeking me for the right reasons. Well, to a crowd that is seeking him, but not the right way, uh, they're zealous people, they're crossing land to see, to see him. Well, they don't like this very much. So they demand from him. They make an interesting demand. They look at this in verse twenty-eight. Jesus said to them, "What, may, what must be?" Or excuse me, verse twenty-seven. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set a seal. They said to him, "What must we do to be doing the works of God?" Jesus answered them, "This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He sent." So they said to him. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? And I just want to say as I grab their shoulders and shake them, just think about yesterday. Right? Yesterday. What sign will you perform? Are you kidding me? He just fed you yesterday. Like that's why you're here today. I mean, are you that forgetful? What sign will you do demanding more from him? They ask, what works, what must we do? They want to do something for Jesus. Jesus is like, oh, just believe. That's the work of God, believe. No, 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 if we're going to believe, you need to show us some reason that we would believe in you. (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? He just fed 5,000. They were witnesses of it. They ate their fill. And Jesus said, this is the work of God. Believe in me. They want more work to do. For this crowd, believing is not enough. It's too radical. It's too scandalous. Belief in Jesus? Surely there's more to the work of God than that. Show me more. I want to do more. That's not enough. I don't believe you, Jesus. Jesus continues in the, in the dialogue, and he just he said to them, Truly, truly, verse 31, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. It is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here's what Jesus, the radical things that Jesus is saying, and the, 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 they're gonna, we're going to see here in a minute that they don't believe in him. And again, telling a group of people that's seeking him, you know, Jesus, you're seek, they're seeking you, Jesus, and you telling them they don't believe in him. There's these things that just seem to collide, and it's like, Jesus, I thought your point was to get followers, and you're doing everything you can to send them away. My goodness, what are you doing here? Well, Jesus says this. You're, you're missing the point, crowd. Okay. God, when Israel was in the wilderness, provided manna, food, supply, material food to eat. And what you're not seeing, you're not believing in me. I am that bread. I am the one who came down from heaven. If you eat of me, like, believe in me, trust me. If you eat of me, if you drink in me, if you find your satisfaction in me, you will be satisfied eternally. You won't have to eat again tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day, you'll be satisfied. And they don't see it. What works? We want visible. Give us some things. Give us a sign. They just had the physical bread yesterday. It's not enough. So they don't like what Jesus is saying. They're seeking Jesus, but Jesus does not honor their seeking. Way to go. Way to go, guys. You're the ones who are coming after me. You're the ones. All the world isn't, but you guys, you guys, let me tell you. You get a butt slap and a high five and a side hug. Way to go. You're zealous for me. Woohoo! Come on the Jesus train. No. Not at all. He exposes their sinful motives. And they don't like it. Can't you feel the crowd, the fringes of the 20,000? 20, he, he, he's the bread from heaven? What a loony. You, you hear him. They're walking away. Hey, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm sick of this stuff. You can hear him. The crowd begins to diminish. I'm the bread of life. Then Jesus, <laughs> Jesus in, says some things over these next few passages that John 6 is one of the best works of literature, the best words. They're divine words. They're unexplainable unless the God of the, God of the universe wrote them. These things that he says, they're not found in philosophical lines. He's, what Jesus is going to do is he is going to invite us into mystery and he's going to say some things that we want to pick. We want to say, well, I like these things that Jesus says or I like these things. In theological traditions down through the years, they have made this mistake of saying, I like this, what Jesus is saying, and then over here, I really don't like what this says, so I'm going to go with this and ignore this over here. And then those who like what these things are, what these things say, what Jesus says to that crowd, then, like, I really like these, I like this, I like what Jesus is saying, I really don't get that, and that's not cool, I don't like that, that makes God sound weird, okay, so uh, I don't like that, doesn't fit the God of my image. And this morning, we're going to be invited into, okay, these are the words of God, um, and again, I've already made the caveat, we all don't have to agree in all the details of this, but I want you to say, I want you to see that Jesus is going to say some really clear statements, really clear things, and we're not going to understand how they can both be true. We're not going to get it, okay? We're not going to understand that. We'll understand what he's saying, but we're not understanding how it's going to be both. And we're going to feel that inner philosopher in us is going to rise up, and it's got to be one. It's got to be this. It's got to be this. And yet Jesus weaves these statements back in and forth, back and forth, and this is the challenge. Like, are we going to sit with Jesus? And like, if he was telling us and we were sitting there, be like, Jesus, you know, people are going to really, these, these words, I, I just really don't like these words. I, I don't, I don't understand how they both go together. Like, could you just not say that? And Jesus is like, these are words of spirit and of life. And friends, I want to invite you into this because in mystery, laying down our boxes of God, in my, mystery, there is much delight. In mystery, there is much delight. Now, when I say mystery, I'm not meaning unclarity. We're going to see some perfectly clear statements. But there's mysteries to how it's both. But for you, if you get this, the flesh is no help. It's not going to be help as we bump into this. But if the Spirit grabs hold of you in this, there is grace upon grace in the richness of these passages. This is where grace can get quite offensive. It's going to say it's all about God. And it's not about you, but it's all for your benefit. And we're going to squirm. 
We're not going to like it because we want some skin in the game. I want to be some sort of motivator for God's grace, and God's going to just give it freely. Let's just see it. Jesus starts responding to this disgruntled crowd, and he says these radically unbelievable things. But I say, verse 36, let's just go start 35. 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said that, but I said it, I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. So even the people who saw everything that Jesus did, they're not believing. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do the will of the uh, not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. We're going to read down through verse 45. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. And everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. All right, let's open Pandora's box of paradox. All right, here we go. Um, These words are intertwined, and some of you might be tracking and and some not. And you know what? I'm honestly okay with that because in the end of the at the end, as Jesus is teaching this, the people are confused. (laughs) So it's like the greatest preacher teacher ever is teaching this, and people are like, "I don't like it." So, I feel like in somewhat good company, but in the end, what we need to come together and say, hey, Jesus, you have the words of life, okay? So, here's what he says. You guys aren't believing in me. You know who is going to believe in me? All that the Father has given me. Verse 37. All that the Father has given me will come to me. What does that mean? Well, here's what I think it means without going to a bunch of different passages. It seems very, very clear The Father has given the Son a gift. The Father has given the Son a gift. That I, verse 39, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The Father has given the Son people. And the people, the Father has given the Son, will come to the Son. It says this. All that the Father has given me will come to me. Jesus is confident in this. Hey, if you don't come to me, I know that there will be people who come to me because my Father has given me a gift, and it's people. And those people will come to me. Now now listen. The very next thing he says is interesting. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So you have these paradoxical statements, and some of you may feel this and some of you might not, but again, these are Jesus' words. We would have to grapple with them if Jesus was here. And he is, by the way. But if we were there hearing him, we would be hearing these words in the masses and wondering, I don't think these are words of life. And Jesus is like, yes, these are words of life. He keeps going and he says, he says, all that believe in me, and this is the Father's will, excuse me, in verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the Father's will. Everyone, anyone out there in all the world that looks on the Son, this is His will that they would have eternal life. But then, Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, okay, this should be blowing your minds, okay? Again, this, this should be. Jesus is saying That all the Father gives him will come to him. And he's saying, these people are not coming to him. And then he's like, okay, anyone who believes in me, everyone who believes in me. So the responsibility of belief is on people. And yet Jesus then tells them, oh yeah, nobody can do that. Nobody can believe. They don't have the ability. Now, okay, again, do you feel how weird these statements are? You feel that? 
Sure, yeah. I mean, it's like, Jesus, this seems to be, okay, again, boxes we have of God. Okay, let's, let's push those down and say, Jesus, even if we don't understand that everything can go together, we want to agree with you. Let, let's, let's try to agree. We want to agree with Jesus here. Okay? Everyone who looks. And nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So there's these statements here that are made. And we have these, whoever, anyone, no one can. All these weird statements that seem to just collide. So let me just kind of sum this up uh, in seven kind of points and a couple of them being quotes. Number one, all the, all the people, the father gives the son comes to the son. So here's the deal. If you're a Christian, it's because the father gave you as a gift to the son. He set his affection on you. He said, that's going to be my son or daughter. Can you imagine ransom? My son is eight years old or, or he's he, not eight years old. My son's not, I've got some mystery child out there that nobody knows about. Sorry, baby. Um, so, uh, Okay, my son is one years old. And say when he was eight years old, Jordan and I start, uh, we start uh, saving up. And we plan for something of his in the future. And he's totally unaware of it. We plan to take him to Disney World. We wouldn't do that because I don't like crowds and don't. So we would take him somewhere that I would enjoy too. But, uh, <clears throat> right, I'm a generous father, right? Um, that's why God is so much more wondrous than us. But let's just say it's Disney World. We plan this trip and plan this trip. It gets to eight years old, and we're like, hey, son, we're going to take you to Disney World, and we're going to lavish this trip on you, and we're going to go. And, and what would you say if he stood back and said, you mean you have been planning this before I even knew about it? You should have told me. How dare you take me to Disney World? How dare you plan your love and pour love on me and plan this this whole time? And friends, if you think your story with God started the day you meet Jesus, you have more grace to discover. You have more grace to discover. Eternity back, the Father set His affection on you and said, you're going to be my sons. You are going to be a gift to my son. Now, what we can do is we can run down routes, and people have done this over the years, to really unhealthy places that the Bible doesn't let us run. But we don't want to disregard what Jesus says. And again, there's room for disagreement. I keep wanting to say this. I know that some of these things are just, it, it tugs on our hearts. There's emotions that get pulled up. But there's grace for you to discover, friends. God set his affection on you in eternity past. Two, whoever or anyone, and I mean whoever or anyone, because this is what Jesus said, who looks and believes will have eternal life. Anyone out there who looks and believes on the Son, Jesus Christ, will have eternal life. Anyone. Anyone who wants Jesus can have him. Anyone. Everyone out there. This is what our call is, is it not? Like, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We have a message for everyone we come in contact with. That there's a God who sent a Savior for sinners. This is a message that we have been sent forth with. Oops. I keep knocking this down. I've discovered I have patterns up here. I I go here and then I sort of go up front and everybody wonders, is he going to fall off? And then I go. Okay, maybe only a few people wonder that, but... And so, number three, everyone who believes. Number three, no one, this is the paradox, no one has the ability to believe. No one. That's a gift. The Father has to come. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws me. The exact same thing is said in in 65. This is why he said, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. Jesus says it again, just in case we weren't weren't clear. No one has the ability to. But people, this is where we feel weird about it, people are held responsible if they don't come to God. If somebody's not a Christian, that's not God's fault. That's their own rebellion and rejection of the gospel. They have freely rejected a gift. And that's their fault. The scriptures always lay blame on people for not repenting and believing. This is a sin. People's hearts are bent on themselves. And so they choose from their hearts to rebel against God. Number four, if you believe, 
If you're in here and if you've believed in this message for everybody and anybody, if you believe, then hear me say this. God deserves all the glory, even for your belief. You see, we have a theology that's dominated our country and our world, especially in our country, that that loves independence, loves freedom, loves this. We have this theology that's been built around, um, and humans make decisions every day, countless thousands of them. But we think we can move Almighty God by our will. And listen to me, God is not bound by us. You hear me say that? God isn't bound by us. This is mystery. This is paradox. And if you're a Christian, it's all of grace. Most Christians, average Christians, have this theology that gives 99 hand claps claps to God. 99. And then one for me. That in the end, when I ask, why are you a Christian? It starts with, because I. Because I. There was something in me that caused God to do this. There's something in me that caused God to respond. There's something in me. And yes, we did choose. Yes, we did repent. Yes, we did this. But why? Were you not convicted of sin? Where's that come from? Hmm. You begin to back this up. So friends, there's room for us to say, as much as you can praise God for your salvation, we can praise Him even more because He's that much more glorious. I mean, He has done this work on our behalf. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Like, He did this. He did this on our behalf. So God gets 100% of the credit, number six, or, or number five, God gets 100%. Number six, humans are 100% to blame for disbelief. Now, I want you to feel that tension, and I'm going to ask for raising raise hands. If humans get 100% in the Bible, if humans are held accountable for disbelief, shouldn't they get credit for belief? Like, haven't you heard this before? Like, God cast his vote, Satan cast his vote, you cast your vote. Right? Like, we've heard this before, this language, okay? So if people are 100% responsible for their damnation, they should be responsible for their salvation, right? No. It's not how it goes. This is the paradox, that if you're a Christian, it's all of grace. But if you're not a Christian, it's all your fault. This is a mystery that I can't understand. I can't. Un- I cannot comprehend. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, all glory... All glory to God and salvation. All glory goes to God and salvation. All all blame goes to men in damnation. Here's what Spurgeon also said. He's going to help us out. Spurgeon once, once asked if he could reconcile the apparent contradiction between these two truths. He replied, I never have to reconcile, friends. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility have never had a falling out with each other. I do not need to reconcile what God has joined together. He confessed, Where these two truths meet, I do not know, nor do I want to know. They puzzle me. Since I have been given up my mind, since I have given up my mind, or they do not puzzle me, excuse me, since I have given up my mind to believing them both. Spurgeon embraced both sovereignty and human responsibility. Like, this, this is the box. Okay, this is the box that we want to. And this is this crowd. They're not liking the things that Jesus says. So, God, you're not like that, whether you're on this side or the other side or whatever. And here Jesus is like, sorry, there's a realm that, that I have, and my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I'm going to say some things, and they are words of life. And th- this is the, just the truth. And we want to theologize and wrestle and blah, and fight and all that kind of stuff. And no, let's just gather around. And if we disagree, okay. But let's thank Jesus for his work. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him. So if I'm a Christian, then Jesus, it's all praise to your Father, all glory to him. I want to praise him all the days of my life. And if you say whoever comes to you and eats of you, then I want to tell anybody and everybody, get a trumpet, sing some songs, go out, get some tracks, track bomb some people, tell people, my neighbors, my friends, hey, there's a message that's for the whole world and it calls for every man, every woman throughout the whole world to repent of your self-centered ways, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. That's, that's the heart, that's our heartbeat. There's room, friends, at the cross. And so our message 
to the world isn't, hey, figure out the gospel. I did. The message is, Jesus radically saved me. With the power of His hand, with the power of His might, God, my Father, gave me, even before I was born, to Him. And I am thankful for Him for that. It keeps going. Jesus furthers the confusion of the people by starting to say some things again that are impossible to do. And the people in the crowd, you can just feel them. What are you saying? Here's what he says. Verse 40, starting in 45. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. What a radical statement. Really, Jesus? Everyone? Who has heard? I Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that, you, that, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him is life for the world is my flesh. The Jews started disputing, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus starts saying radical stuff. So Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of this flesh, the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink His blood, you have no life in you. No life. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks of my blood, has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me and I in him. And as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me also he will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. The crowd had gathered around. Jesus said, you must eat my flesh, which, by the way, translation, believe in me, eat my flesh, find your satisfaction in me, to be doing the works of God Believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. And they're like, when you phrase it like that, Jesus, you're at, it's like you're asking me to become a cannibal. Really? Eat your flesh? Drink your blood? We can't do that, Jesus. Or we would get like, we would, we would be crazy mad. Eat my, you're, you're, say what? Eat my flesh? Drink my blood? It's weird, isn't it, James? Or Jim? It's weird. Or James, Jim? Jim? James, yeah. Okay. It's weird. It's impossible. It's impossible to do. So what happens from here? These statements, the crown begins to dwindle, and then here we get to the end. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen? For some of you today, some of this stuff is still hard, isn't it? Like, it's hard. It's hard for me. Like, it pulls any credit I get for coming to Jesus away. It just, like, don't we... I mean, these are hard things. It's hard to embrace mystery because we love our philosophical boxes. It's hard to lay those down, the way we think God is or the way we think whatever. And we, we want to build them back up and say, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And Jesus is like, this is mis- like, my ways are higher than your ways. Like, there's just some things you you can, these are, and so they don't, like it. This is a hard saying. Who can listen? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. It reiterates the point. Flesh, people apart from the Spirit, it's no help. Even understanding this today, it takes the Spirit of God to help us understand what the Holy Spirit read, wrote. Like, we read these these plain words and we just want to, again, compartmentalize and all this. Let's be Bible people. 63, it's the Spirit who gives life. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now let me ask you this. All the 5,000 people, up to 20,000 people, do they agree with that statement? No, not all of them do, at all. Like, they're all gone. 
masses of people. Peace out. And Jesus is like, there's life here. And if you don't like these words, these people are walking away from life. There's so much here for you. If you, There's so much for you, church, in passages like this, in God's Word, so much life as we discover Jesus in the Bible. No, I don't like it. Unfortunately, people can walk away from Jesus today and hear His words and keep coming to church, and they just ignore it. They don't like it. They keep in the midst of people, and they're just, whatever. We just look like Jesus' followers, but back then, you would have had to turn and walk away. Today, we just reject whatever we wanted to reject and keep hanging out with the people of God. We do that all the time. It's all, churches all over the place. So, where do we go? Where do we leave? What do, what do we do? Let's go ahead and actually just finish this. Verse 64. But there were some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew, knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it would be who would betray him. And he said to them, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Let me read those two verses again. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. (laughs) Jesus, you're not going to tell me that I can't do something I want to do. You're not going to tell me that me following you is granted by the Father. Peace out. So Jesus said to the twelve, Hey guys, Jared paraphrase here. Hey, do you want to go away as well? The response is so precious, so powerful. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, you are the Holy One of God. So whatever you say... We agree with you. That's the words of life. We agree with you. We may not fully understand it. We may feel like it's hard. But you know what? As we see the crowds leaving, we're not going anywhere. You're the Holy One of God. We know in whom we have believed. We know the one who has changed our life. We know the one who has breathed life into us. We know the satisfaction that has come being around you, Jesus. We've seen you walk on water. We've seen you feed the 5,000. We have seen what you have done and who you are. Where are we going to go? What you say goes. If you say they're words of life, Jesus, they're words of life. So here's where we're left today. There are some of you that get to discover, maybe for the first time, you've liked this word grace. You've liked it. But you still think grace has a little bit to do with you. And for you today... The fact that you're a Christian and that you willingly chose God, you're discovering, oh my goodness, that was God's grace to me even. That was God's grace to me. That was Him working in me. That was his la- that was Him lavishing His purposes on me. I'm not going to take credit for that. And maybe the other people in this room, maybe you don't know God today. You're here for a reason. And here's what the author of life says to you. Come and drink of me. Whoever will eat my flesh and drink my blood will be satisfied. He will no longer hunger. He will no longer thirst. Come and drink the water without price. Come and drink your fill. Come and meet Jesus. The promise is to whoever. I'll quote Ralph Brandon, our pastor. Many of you may know him. Um, (laughs) Ralph says it this way. When I became a Christian, I walked through a door and it said, Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When I walk through that door, I look around and it has a sign over it. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And as you think about these complexities and mysteries, I'm not saying you can figure all this stuff out. I'm saying you can't. And I'm saying you can know that you can't, but you can know that these things are stated by Jesus. I want you to worship. Andy is going to come forward and he's going to play Amazing Grace. And we're going to receive communion here at the end. And after you receive, you're going to be dismissed. 
But I think there may be some of you, now that we have been redeemed by Jesus, and when we think about Jesus being blood, body, flesh, when we think about Him satisfying our souls, maybe we come forward and say, Jesus, you satisfy in ways that I never knew you could satisfy. There's depth to your love that I saw this morning that I've never seen before. And Jesus, I just want to enjoy you. And you come up here and you pray, and then you receive communion. These guys are going to be up here. I would ask that as you come out, you walk to your... So everybody go to your right, and walk out to your left, and then come down here. And you guys will all go to your right and come down this way, and then go back to your left to kind of keep a flow. That row, just come like a herd of whoever. Um, and you do business with Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, come, repent of your sins, talk to me. Okay, meet Jesus. Who's saying, come, 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 come to me. You come and pray with me and then receive communion for the first time in your life. That's kind of backwards. You're supposed to be baptized in the Christian faith first. You're supposed to. So if you want to celebrate communion together of the Jesus who is saving you, who saved you, come forward me, Jesus. If you're a Christian, you just want to experience God's grace and worship him, you can come forward and pray here. If you want to sit at your seat or pray with somebody, the words that Jesus has for you are of spirit and of life. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for my friends and my brothers and sisters. Jesus, there are things that you say to us that first feel like duct tape getting ripped off a hairy leg. It feels painful and uncomfortable and we don't like it. and We, don't, we, want, we feel like we're walking with the crowd and we're just like, Jesus, that's not the Jesus I know. And Jesus is like, I'm the only Jesus there is. And I'm telling you that I save you single-handedly. And I've got plans for you. And I've got purposes for you. And I love you. And our Heavenly Father looks and sees, and you are my son, you are my daughter, and I have decided that you would be my son or daughter long ago. And I love you. And you love me because I first love you. And for others, you're just... This God he's talking about, this Jesus who cares so much about truth. Holy Spirit, awaken their heart and their eyes to see the author of life. In Jesus' name.